are busy with a series, um, and the series is um, practice not perfect. And it is, it's basically the spiritual disciplines that we're looking at, the, what some would call uh, the habits of grace. And, and the idea is that we do this to, to better love Christ and to conform to Christ, our, our sanctification. We, we, we are not perfect, but, but we are practicing. So, um, so that is basically just, just the baseline um, of what we're doing. Um, Augustine said that to live well or to live uh, a good life is to uh, rearrange your loves and in Christianity, our first love is Christ. So that is conforming us this then to Christ. My part in, in it this morning is conversing with God. I'm, I'm speaking on, on prayer. Um, and I'd like to give us a, a story as an, as an introduction. Uh, so maybe before I, I do that, I just want to say I am, I've, I've, uh, I'm basically, I summarized and, and edited a lot of Keller's work for this, uh, his book Prayer, and if I could, I would have held it up. I bought the book two times, that's how much I like it. So, um, yeah, so I could really just say buy that book, and, and what you will be hearing is, is a, lot, a lot of that. Um, so, introduction, story time. There was an 18th century Anglican clergyman, George Whitfield, and he was one of the spearheads in the Great Awakening, a period of massive revival and um, interest in Christianity. And it, the Western world basically exploded um, in, in a Christian sense. Churches grew, and uh, there was just significant growth. And, and White, Whitfield was a riveting orator. He's considered as one of the best preachers of all time. Now, in 1743, late 1743, he had his first child with his wife, Elizabeth, a son. And he came um, under the impression he was hearing from God that his son would be just as great a preacher as, as he, or even, even greater, that he would share in this work of, of preaching the everlasting gospel, this, this good news. And so when, in, when his son was born and he decided to baptize his son, he, he made a, a, um, a sermon uh, in front of a huge, huge crowd. He, he preached. And... Um, he went ahead and basically prophesied, basically stating what great deeds God would do through his son. He, he was so convinced, he, he kind of had this idea. Um, he called his, John, his son John after John the Baptist. And John's, uh, John the Baptist's mother's name is Elizabeth. And... and his own wife's name um, is Elizabeth. So... He had his confirmation, and uh, he preached, and he had, he had cynics. He knew he had critics that would not agree with him, but he went ahead and did it anyway. And four months in, his little boy John died of a seizure. Um, so, yeah, they were devastated. So, Whitfield was mistaken. And when I was thinking on this sermon, I, 
I spoke to a lot of my friends, some of them losing their faith, and they would say, God doesn't, God doesn't speak. You, you are lying to yourself. Um, I, I'm praying for things that don't necessarily happy, uh, happen, but they're not happy in it either. Um, and, and the question then becomes, should we hear God's voice? What is it to hear God's voice? What, what is proper prayer? These, these questions pop up. Um, Maybe as Job was in the desert and he said, I go to the east, I do not find him. I go to the west, he's, he's not there. Or if he only knew where God lived, then he could, he could go to him. But, but we have this, at times, this desert feel that we do not know where God is. Um, and that, that is what I want to address this morning. What is proper prayer for the Christian? So I have four points uh, in, in that regard that I hope will, will give us some clarity. The first one is the universal phenomenon of prayer. Second, meeting a personal God. Third, meeting God through his word. And then the tragedy of untethered prayer. That is, uh, that is our sermon this morning. Okay, thank you. Have a, have a nice day. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, the, the universal phenomenon of prayer. We all seem to pray. Um, the Jews, they, they traditionally prayed three times a day. The Muslims, they pray five, five times a day. Uh, Hindus, they have their mantras. Buddhists have their prayer wheels uh, to meet nirvana um, or become part of Brahman. We have um, the Indians in um, uh, the north in Canada, where the Beaver Indians, as I have them. I'm not too familiar with them. Or the, um, the Papago Indians, which is in the south of, of, of America. And they used to, to pray through, through singing. We have in Congo the Saku, and they don't have a name for, uh, for their elders or for their, uh, their deceased. They just call them... Uh, the same word as older brother, just in the plural, um, the older ones. Um, and they use them as a vessel to, to pray to the great divine, what is, what is out there. Um, so we, we have this phenomenon across the world that all people pray. Even deliberately non-religious peoples pray at times. Uh, so studies have shown that, uh, well, the BBC did a... They did a poll in 2004, and they found that 30% of non-believers pray some of the time. Another study showed that uh, some non-believers pray uh, regularly. They, they, they like praying. Um, so, so it's not that all people pray, but there's definitely something going on. So, um, Carl Barth, he called it. Um, he called it the incurable God sickness that we try to reach up. We we have a sickness, and John Calvin, I think, did, did the base work on this, and and might be open for discussion what what natural law is and and how that plays out. But he called it the the senses divinitatis, the sense of divinity, this seed that was planted in humanity for religion, looking looking for a God. And what we, what we basically find is maybe people just putting 
messages in bottles and kind of just throwing it out there for whomever to receive. We're looking, we're seeking, we're wanting to find this divinity. We, we, we're stretching out for that. But uh, for the Christian, it is, it is more than that. Um, the Bible teaches us that, that God invites us to pray. He commands us to pray. You can almost not look anywhere in Scripture without running into Bible, uh, in, in, into, the, into the word prayer or a prayer. And what we see with prayers as well is they're diverse, they're complex. It's, it's difficult to pin down uh, what the goal is exactly. Uh, it's everywhere. It's communication. So it is clear that not all prayer are equal, but for the Christian, there is something different, and that it is meeting with a personal God. So the word conversing or conversation implies meeting. And why, why do we meet people? Why do you date? So Vian is pretty much one of the only singles here, um, including me, but yeah, Vian, so, so why do you go on dates? <laughs> um, the idea is to, to get to know another person. Um, it is to, to know who they are, and ultimately it's more than that. It's to see if you, you are going to marry them. And then that knowledge is more. It's a sharing of who that person is. It's not just uh, knowledge about a person. It is a sharing of who you are and who they are. So... So knowledge, that is, that is why we meet. We speak to one another to know. And uh, I just want to root this a little bit in how Scripture speaks of this. We have Galatians 4 verse 9, and it says, But now um, that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world you slaves, you want to be once more. So we have come to know God, and even more, we see that we, were, we, we came to be known by God. Now, that, that's, one, that's one verse, right? This, this, this language of, of knowledge. I'm going to do, um, well, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12, a very popular verse. Uh, they use this text a lot in weddings. But at the end of it it, 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 it finishes. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So, again, this calling that you will be known fully by God. John 17 verse 3. And this is eternal life. Jesus even equates eternal life to this. He says, that, we, uh, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And Paul knew this. Um, the way Paul has a lot of prayers in his, in his letters to the churches, and, and he, he always pray that they know God. Listen to this uh, in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that, so that what? Why should we have revelation? So that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So this, this idea that we, we pray to know God, that's, that's the goal. 
Um, we're going to go layers, so, so get ready for it. Um, the interesting thing about Paul is that when he prays for his friends, for, for the churches, it is remarkable that he never prays. It, it doesn't contain appeals for God to change their situations. And that's one of our favorite prayers, isn't it? God, just, just take this away from me. Um, but, but that doesn't happen. Paul says he rather prays continuously that they know God. And through that, that maybe we, we are a representation of what the kingdom is regardless of our circumstances. So C.S. Lewis, he affirms this. He, he put it in a book. It was a novel, but um, I think it's true in any case if you would make a chapter out of it. And the chapter's name is Real Life is Meeting. This idea that your, that your relationships is actually the purpose why you're living. You, you live to know people and you live to share your life. That, that is where we, we derive meaning from. People that, uh, many people that are depressed, uh, they, they don't give, they don't share, they don't love other people. Um, and, and therefore, they, they fall into depression. It's not the only reason. But, but there's definitely something there. J.I. Packer, he wrote a famous book, Knowing God, um, and he puts it this well. I'll read him quickly. Knowing God is a matter of personal dealing. Knowing God is more than knowing about him. It is a matter of dealing with him as he opens up to you and being dealt with by him. Friends open their hearts to each other by what they say and do. We must not lose sight of the fact that knowing God is an emotional relationship as well as an intellectual and volitional, that is, of the will, um, and could not indeed be a deep relationship between persons if it was not so. Whoa, we have outside a speaker, it seems. Um, so this is, just, that just founded it, that, that the goal of prayer is to know God. So, who do we meet exactly? We, we have now this, this abstract idea of, of God, but, but who do we meet? If, if we listen to the Eastern religions, um, who have an impersonal view of God, or even if they had a unipersonal view of God, then love would be an illusion, because love needs at least two or more persons. You need to connect with someone um, to actually have a love relationship. So, but this, the, the God of the Scriptures, the God of the Bible, is a, is a different God. We have um, a Trinitarian God, a God in three persons. And he has, they have known one another from the founding, from before time. They have loved and known one, one another. And Jesus does quite a lot in John from chapter 14 to 17 to explain his relationship with both the Father and the Spirit. Um, it's worthwhile if you, if you want to see the persons to, to just go look at that. And it kind of culminates with uh, John 17. And it's, uh, it's Jesus' big prayer right before his condemnation, well, not condemnation, betrayal, and before he goes to the crucifixion. And, and just listen to him here in, in um, John 17. He says, um, let me just get it. He's speaking of the glory that he had with the Father before the world began. It's John 17, verse 5. And of the words that he has received from the Father. 
Again, there's communication. There is words. So the Godhead is... Um, let me just see. I'm missing, missing something here. Yes. I'm missing something there. Where is my... There it is. Okay. So the Godhead contains a community of persons, and because language is intrinsic to personal relationship, there is every reason to, to expect, not just to believe, to expect that God communicates through words. So we, we have this expectation. We're going slow, but I, I'm trying to root for us that words is what you should expect from God. Words. Um, something concrete. Um, John Jefferson Davis, he, he puts it this way. He insists that the use of language is not incidental, but is instead essential to God's eternal being as a unity of three persons, and that believers are to be sanctified in the form of truthful words given by Jesus, um, given to Jesus by the Father and conveyed to us by the Spirit. So language is not just incidental. Instead, it is essential to God's being. Christian prayer um, then is, it, it follows that it is God that seeks personal relationship with us. He befriends us through, through speech. That is, that is the baseline. So now we come to our third point, and that is meeting God through his word. And for this, we also need to lay down some groundwork um, before we, we get into it. And and I think it, it is normal if you're going to deal with the biggest being in the universe uh, uh, that, that creates everything, um, we have to think deeply on, on what that is. So, for God, his words is identical with his actions. And we see this in Genesis 1 verse 3, where when Jesus speaks, let there be light, at he doesn't then act. It doesn't then say, and then Jesus created light. It is the same action. We see this in um, Genesis 17 verse 5. If, if Jesus names someone, he establishes that person. Um, so when he, he renames Abraham to Abraham, father of a multitude, um, that makes him, the age-old man and his wife, the, it, it, it makes them capable to be biologically and spiritually um, able to, to be the progenitors of an entire race. They who had nothing... Oh, Nelly, I think we, we are fine. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, thanks, Marcus. So this theological principle, I think, plays out most strongly in Scripture in Isaiah 55, verse 10 to 11. Uh, just listen to this. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The God of the Bible is by his very nature... When he speaks, he, he acts. He acts through speaking. And when the Bible speaks of, of God's word, 
then it is, it's, it's taking um, God's active presence um, in, in the world. It is, it is talking of God's active presence in the world. So to say that God's word goes out and does something is the same as to say that God, God goes out and, and, and does something. And then to break God's word or his commandments is actually to break a relationship with him. You're dealing directly with God. Um, it, it, it can be said, um, God has invested himself with his words, or we could say that God has identified himself with his words, that whatever someone does to God's words, they do to God himself. God's verbal actions are also an extension of himself. Okay, so, so that's the first point of when we're dealing with God's word. The, the second point is... Um, it has to do with, with what are God's words? Where do we find them? And I think it's foremost Scripture. It's, it's not only that, but it is no less than that. That revelation comes foremost through Scripture. Um, and most of us, most of our preaching, we, we will have nothing uh, of the revelation of Christ and what he did if we, if we did not have those words. We, we treat it with the utmost respect as Christians. And, and we see it play out. So God was speaking to his people directly, and they say they don't want to deal with him directly. This is with Moses. And they say, rather give us a prophet. Rather give us someone to speak on your behalf. And God says this is a good thing that they ask for. This is in Deuteronomy um, 18, 15 to 20. So, so we have the prophets, and the word prophet, it, it, it means the mouthpiece of God. It is literally God speaking to such an extent that God said, who, who, if such a prophet would ever speak presumptively um, or say things that, that he does not say, that, that person should be killed. Um, he, he's making claims um, of, of God himself. And what we see maybe a bit later, it's Jeremiah 36. Um, he writes to uh, Jehoiakim, the king, and he's actually banned because nobody likes what he has to say, so he's, he's not allowed to go to the temple. But he gets a scribe, and, and he writes a prophecy against the nation for them to repent. And he sends it to the temple, and the temple reads it, and they take it to the king. And Jehoiakim, every few paragraphs, as they read, he cuts off the piece, and he throws it into the fire. And as they read, he cuts it off, and he just throws it into the fire. Um, and so God tells Jeremiah, rewrite what you've written. Rewrite it. And send it, send it to the king again. Add on to it this, this call to repentance. So we have that the prophet's words became scripture. And that is still the scripture that is alive and active today in us. We, we get that from, from Hebrews. Hebrews 4, uh, 4 verse 12. That the word is alive and active. And I think this is where it also gets complicated. Because we, we also have Jesus equating himself with the Word. Uh, Jesus, in the beginning of John, he says, I, um, he was the Word. Um, we, we can read the text. Uh, I don't have it here. My mind just jumped today. Um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A very easy, uh, easy one. Um, so, 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 yeah, so we meet God through Scripture, and, and this is the premise. Now, I'm hoping to convince you guys a little bit more. I think this is really interesting. The premise is we know who we are 
praying to only if we first learn it in the Bible. And we know how we should pray only by letting our vocabulary um, come or be informed from Scripture. And uh, it seems weird, um, you know, we're expecting God just to, to speak to us. We're just going to pray. And, and it's, it's not that it is not possible, but that doesn't seem to be the norm, the normative process that, that happened through Scripture. And what we actually see is it should be normative for us. Um, in our, it, it basically plays out as a basic dynamic um, for every new human being. Eugene Peterson uh, does the writing here, so, and he says it, it, it reminds us that because we learned language so early in our lives, we have no memory of the process and would therefore imagine that it was we who took the initiative to learn how to speak. However, this is not the case. Language is spoken into us, and we learn language only as we are spoken to. Uh, so... This, this idea that we learn language syllable by syllable, we learn mama, papa, yes, no, pe uh, zulu, and panzi, little bar of zulu there on the side. It's basically what I have. Um, still, still have to learn syllable by syllable. Um, and, and the thing is, we, this even happens with ourselves. I had a really foul mouth at university. I um, said... So, where you hang out of, you, you pick up that language, and that, that starts to inform your life, how you view the world, how you, how you act in the world. You learn from your language. As it is spoken to you, so you become. And, and thus, it, it should not shock us. It's, it's even interesting in the words. So babies, um, they, I, heard, I learned this word from Amanda, they coo. They make little noises. They, they're not speaking yet, but they're, they're in training. And... Um, and what do we call babies? We call them infants. And we know that an infant's a little, little baby. But what, what is the literal meaning, the, the etymology? This is a word I recently learned that I love this, this word. And um, it's, it, it, it's in, so the negative, and then from in the Latin, um, which means to utter, a non-speaker, your little non-speaker. That's what you have. And, uh, and then it picks up language from how you speak to him. Studies have, have shown even after Peterson's work that um, children that are exposed to a broader range of vocabulary and, and more vocabulary understand and communicate better when they become adults. So, yeah, there's, there's really something there. Uh, it is therefore essential to, practice, uh, to the practice of prayer that we recognize what Peterson calls the overwhelming previousness of God's speech to our prayers. So God speaks first to us. Then we learn that language. And through that language, uh, we start to, to, to speak back. So this theological principle has, has practical implications. It means that our prayers should arise out of the immersion of Scripture. We should plunge ourselves into the sea of Scripture. Now, I, I love that uh, imagery. It's an ocean. You're overwhelmed, but you, you have to immerse yourself in, in that language, in the Bible. We should, we should listen and study and think and reflect and ponder on the Scriptures until there is an answering response in our hearts and minds. The scripture informs us how we are to pray. 
It may be a response of shame or joy or confession or appeal. But that response is honest, and that is true speech, and that is prayer, and that is what we should give to God. So if the goal of prayer is a real personal connection with God, then it is only, in the emerging, uh, then it is only by emerging in the language of the Bible that we will learn to pray. And maybe just as slowly as infants learn syllable by syllable. Now, this, this is one aspect. I think there is, there is more to it. So we have a lot of prophecy and God speaking directly. And um, it, it is not just this, but it is, again, not less than this. And this is uh, a foremost place to start. Um, I always, uh, I remembered this little rhyme as a child, read your scriptures, pray every day, and almost have these two separated. But the, the Word of God is alive and active, and it should be incorporated uh, into your prayer life. So, if you, if you are going to meet God in this way, you, you will meet a complex God, a complex being. Your... If, you had a, if, if you've had a relationship with, with any person, a real relationship, you would have been frustrated, you would have been confused, infuriated. Um, at times, you, sometimes you feel deep love. But, but a real relationship, uh, it has this element where you can't make of that person what you want. You have to deal with them for who they are. And it is the same with God. If you... If you meet the God of the Scriptures, you will be confounded, but you will also be amazed and comforted. And, um, and so it is this, this marriage that we see, this wedding of the Bible and prayer that anchors you um, in your life down to, to a connection with a real God, not an, an idea of who God is, not in your emotions, but a real God, dealing with God for who He is. So... This was, this was important for Martin Luther as well. He, he was adamant that we must never get beyond God's words in the Bible, or we can't know whom we are conversing with. So he literally said, if, if you're not going to deal with the Bible and the God of the Bible, you're not going to know with whom you are speaking. We must first hear the word, and then afterwards the Holy Ghost works in our hearts. He works in our hearts. He works in the hearts of whom he wills. Um, and how he will, but never without the word. Um, so, so there's just a, a, some foundation there. And now I, I want to kind of get into the opposite, um, what it is to, to just have a, a counterexample. Um, so Eugene Peterson, he, he stated, um, your starting point for prayer must be the emergent, uh, immersion in God's word. But there's this writer, a New York uh, bestseller, New York Times bestseller, um, Anne Lamott, and she wrote a book, not a Christian, but she wrote a book um, pray, uh, on prayer, and it's, it's entitled Help, Thanks, and Wow. And it, it kind of fits with a lot of the classical Christian categories. Um, help, that, um, that is supplication. Um, the thanks is thanksgiving. And, um, and the wow is adoration. So, so, so that is classical frames for Christian prayer. So what does she write? She, she's quite upfront, and, and this is just her writing. She says on prayer, let's say, 
prayer is to what the Greeks called the really real, what, what lies within us beyond the schism of our values, positions, convictions, and wounds. Or let's say that it is a cry from within to life in, in, like cap, in, in Marx or love with, with capital L. So we, we're just praying to life or we, we're praying to love. It's, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it is what it is. Nothing could matter less than what we call this force. Let's not get bogged down on whom or what we pray to. Let's just say prayer is the communication from our hearts to the great mystery or goodness, the, um, the animating energy of love we are sometimes bold enough to believe in, to sometimes unimaginably, uh, something unimaginably big, and not us, we could call this force, not me. Or for convenience, we could just say, God. So, and, and, and the thing is, I, I give this example because I think we so easily sometimes fall into the trap. We, we create God in the likeness that we want him. We do not deal with him as he is, um, as a complex God, as a complex being. So, telling someone to pray and not to worry about who God is, is uh, it, it's not enough to, for sustaining and operating this principle of prayer because we will not know, we will not grow in, in relationship, we will not know this God, um, and again, we will not be able to share our lives with him. So, these three categories, it is interesting. She, she starts off with something that, that sounds very Christian, help and thanks, and wow, but there is something striking that she leaves out um, in the, cate- uh, the classical categories, and that is confession. Um, if you take her work and you compare it with similar length treatises um, of Augustine or Luther, or even if you, you match it against the Lord's Prayer, um, you find that it has this glaring omission of confession. And what we actually find that in the waste, that people pray but they do not confess as much, and they do not have the, um, uh, the comfort of forgiveness. They are not forgiven. So, yeah, so, so there is something of that. So, without the um, immersion in God's words, our prayers may not be merely limited to to, uh, to be shallow, or, or it's, it's not just limited or shallow, but it is untethered from reality, untethered from, from who God is. We may be responding not to a real God, but to what we wish God and life to be like. Indeed, if left to themselves, our hearts will tend to create a God who doesn't exist. Um, there is a difference between praying to an unknown God, this is Peterson again, um, whom we hope to discover in our praying and praying to a known God revealed through Israel and Jesus Christ, who speaks our language. In the first, we indulge our appetite in religious fulfillment. In the second, our pra- uh, uh, we practice obedient faith. The first is a lot more fun, and the second is a lot more important. What is essential in prayer is not that we learn to express ourselves but that we learn to answer God. 
And um, so this brings us back to our story of, of George Whitfield. And Whitfield, after his son's death, he, he took some time and he was really convicted by how he made his inward impulses and his intuitions essentially equal to, to God's word. And, um, and it is understandable feelings that he would have had. You, you see um, a father that is proud of his son um, and... And he has joy for his son, and he has high hopes for, for his son. And then thinking, but that, that is God's will, that is God's want for, for, for his life. So, after this, he, he wrote a ranging prayer um, for himself, that God would render his, uh, him as a mistaken parent more cautious, more sober-minded, more experienced than Satan's devices and consequently, more useful to the future labors, um, to the church of God. So, in conclusion, prayer comes from the knowledge of God, which we, we increase in by immersing ourselves in the Bible. It's our knowledge of God that directs us how to pray and the types of things we pray. Um, the greater our knowledge of God, the richer and more, more varied our prayers. Now, maybe I just want to throw in a, just a small note. Prayer is definitely also more than this because I think just, that's just the starting blocks. If you find that you are empty in your prayer, this is definitely where you need to start looking. I think the Psalms is a wonderful place. If you're, if you're an extrovert, um, maybe you, you do not know how to do introspection properly. You, you escape to, to others' comments and and um, you know you're good with people, so that's your escape, escape mechanism. But, but the, the Psalms will take you into melancholy, and it will teach you things, and it will give you language of things that you did not know you needed to know. In the same way, maybe if you're an extrovert, um, well, the, the, the extrovert to look inward and the introvert to have language to express himself to connect to, to God, to not feel limited, but, but have a language to connect with others. So that is my um, summation this morning. Um, and uh, I hope you, you learned something, that there was something valuable in it for, for all of us. Um, I would like to pray for us, and then if, if we have time, Prosper, what's the time there? Marcus? Okay, we can, we can definitely get into some q and I think there is angles that is worthwhile to discuss here. Um, so, well, let me pray. Father, thank you for community and communion with you. I think of how you sat with your disciples um, in the Last Supper. And the, you, you, you did not only have um, conversation, but you had communion with them. And that they got to know you, and, um, and that, that we can know the Father through you, Christ. That we can pray um, because of what you have done in our lives. Uh, Father, I, I pray that this will not just uh, go away for us, but that it will settle in our hearts. That, that your Spirit will not leave us with this. But that we maybe are renewed and enriched to, to look with new eyes not only into your scripture, but actually in seeking a deeper relationship with you. I, I thank you for, uh, for everyone that's here, and um, I thank you for who you are. 
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.